Brother Foss is called upon to preach across the length and breadth of the land and beyond. And uh, we had to work to try to find a spot where we could fit in his schedule. And I'm, I was glad to report to you when we were able to do so. And uh, I'm glad that he's here today. Uh, there's a lot I could say about Brother Foss, but I wouldn't say a whole lot more than that that you already know. Uh, I will say this. He, though he's called on to speak and preach at camp meetings uh, more than he can take care of and conferences and, and that sort of work, uh, to me, the thing that's the most outstanding about Brother Foss is he's a pastor. And I feel like that's the highest office in the church. And I feel like that the pastoral office has never fully been understood by the human family in its scope, in its depth, and in its role in God's great plan. But I know one when I see one. And Brother Foss is a pastor. And it's a privilege for us to hear him today. I want us to ask God afresh to make veritable blotters out of our minds and our hearts that we might take that that God has prepared and put on the heart, on the altar of the heart of his servant, that we would retain it, that it would not return void, but that it would accomplish the purpose to which it's sent. Thank God for Brother Frost. The Lord bless you, sir. Thank you, Brother Holly. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in this service with you today to enjoy the blessings of God and to search again the unsearchable riches. of the word of the Lord. I appreciate the opportunity of being with you and sharing the blessings of God with Texas Bible College. Our heart has been with this school since its inception. We thank God for it. We thank God for every one of you that are here studying to do the will of God, studying to learn more about his word and his work. I would like to be able today to portray to you and convey to you really what's in my heart. And this is the only reason that I am here, is somehow maybe God will let me share with you the rascal of my soul that I wrestle with in the night. Nobody else knows anything about it. 
even this morning early before anyone in our household was awake. I was up in another part of the house, still trying to search some of these things that I want to know about the Lord. I don't believe that I will be preaching to you the kind of message or the type of message that's going to lift you out of your seat, make you shout. We know what to preach to do that. But I want you to do some thinking about yourself before I even announce a text of Scripture or a subject to use. And I made this statement to Brother Holly just a little while ago. The greatest need of the church, not just the United Pentecostal Church, because I have a broad enough mind and a broad enough heart that I know that we are not all of the New Testament church. But to you and I, this is what we are acquainted with and we think of the church. This is what we usually think of. And it's very easy for us to analyze. And sometimes, and analysis almost smacks of judgment. And it's almost a dangerous field for you and I have to assume is to begin to analyze God's work, God's men, and God's church. Due to the fact that you are capable of analyzing tells me that you are dangerously endowed with knowledge that someday you're going to pay for having it. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And because of the fact that I can say of my brother or of my fellow man or of the work of the Lord that this is wrong or that is wrong, it betrays the thinking of my heart and the knowledge of my heart that I know. And God does not have to go anywhere to find a criteria by which he could measure me other than those statements I know. In other words, when I look at another man with an analysis, I become the judge of my own heart. I hope that I can get this to you today some way. The greatest need of this church, and here I am telling you that I know some things. Therefore, God will judge me from this hour on by the statement that I am about to make. 
the greatest need of all of us and the congregation of God is men that know the will of God and where they're going. And I made that statement to Brother Holly a few minutes ago. But you talk about the will of God, it's almost become the will of the wisp in Pentecost. It's like chasing the end of the rainbow. Everybody talks about finding the will of God, but not many of us can look God square in the eye across an altar and tell him, I know what your will is for me. So much energy, so much time, so much effort, so much finances in this great organization of ours is used and burned because of men not really knowing what the will of God is. Many churches go through a depression period almost to the point of devastation simply because of the method of an election, the method of finding an office, the method of filling a pastorate, or moving a man is carried out. Due to this, we a lot of times accept the end result of a church voting as the will of God. Don't be fooled. There is a place that you can get that you will know the will of God before anything ever happens. I do not believe that we have time to make mistakes and go back and correct them. If the rapture is as near as we say it is, You set before me today, most all of you, especially you young men, feeling very heavy the call of God in your heart. And if I could tell you any one thing and direct you into any one area of expending yourself, it would be find the will of God. If you do that, we need you. But if you are willing to go and try, and if this is not the will of God, then we'll try something else. We don't need you. So settle it. Settle it. We need men that know where they're going. And in view of the fact that you are feeling the call and the urgency of the Spirit to move you into the field of the ministry, it is with this in mind that I read this text to you today, and I would ask you to stand with me as I read this portion of God's wonderful, glorious, word. 
I have not reached out to pick up some far-fetched or mystical scripture or debatable issue. I have stayed away from the book of Daniel. I've stayed out of the book of Revelation. I haven't gone into the weepings of Jeremiah or into the prophecies of Ezekiel. But I'm finding one of the simplest and yet, to me, one of the most profound passages that we find in the Word of God. And that is Psalms 23. And with you and your call, and you with your desire, I'd like for you to read carefully and analyze what you're reading as I read this today. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside still waters, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. And thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. Forever. There is incurred in this reading the concept of a man singing a song about his shepherd. But as you begin to look at it, you find he verses his song that he leads me beside still waters. Rough water is dangerous. So he carried me to still waters. He made me to lie down in green pastures. By the burning east wind or the bite of the frost, the brown pasture does not hold the nourishment that the flock needs. So he carried me into green pastures. He restored, restoreth my soul. 
makes us to know that this man, Shepherd, had absolute personal contact with him in order to restore, to bring back, to put into its original place or in its proper place. And here again, you lead me in the paths of righteousness. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So righteousness here tells us about safety again. But then he allows himself the spirit of an extremity. And he said, if, if I walk, yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, the greatest extreme that men has ever known, if I go there, my shepherd will be with me. Hallelujah. 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 And I will fear no evil. There will be no reprisal or no repercussions because I have gone into the extreme. But the reason is thou art with me. And you're going to keep me from evil. But he said, your rod and your staff, that tells me about correction. Not corporal punishment. It said that rod and staff comforts me. Maybe you've never read this like I've been reading it, but when I begin to look at this man's song about his shepherd, Brother Holly, it made me cry, Lord, I'm undone. And there's something somewhere that I need to find. You prepare a table before me in the presence. Of them that would like to see me assassinated and destroyed. When there was no friends to feed me. And I knocked on the door and said, open. They said, not so, we're asleep and it's in the night. You give me to eat in the presence of mine enemies. And then he went into an eclipse of praise when he said, You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. All because of my shepherd. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And because you are my shepherd, surely goodness and mercy is going to follow me. Because I'm going to follow you yes. 
all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's lift our hands and love him. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, you may be seated. The reason that I have read this and given it to you as I have, I feel that I am speaking today to future shepherds. Men that are aspiring, searching and longing for that ignition of the Spirit, the call of God to make me what I ought to be. I'd like to talk to you about the shepherd's heart or the shepherd's life in its extremity. When we talk about a shepherd, there is a lot about the ministry that you have never yet looked at, you've never caught a glimpse of it, you have never seen. You see all of the wonderful sides of the ministry, and this is great. It's fine to drive fine automobiles, wear nice clothes, to feel that hearty handshake of a friend, that slap on the back, to stand before a group of people that you know that love you and preach to them and see them rise to their feet because of the things that you have taught them and see their hands raised and see them glorify, magnify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You listen to people speak about him. He's a great man. He's a wonderful preacher. You hear young men say that I wish that I could preach like him. And I shall read a scripture here for you if they ask me to preach in a convention before long. Perhaps this is what I would use. But I want you to be the man that God wants you to be. Don't look at a mortal and say, that's who I want to be like. Because God is against that. Hallelujah. There must be an extremity to men if they are going to be successful in the ministry. There are things that you cannot get from anybody or from any place other than being alone with your God. Hallelujah. 
me read it. See what you think about it. Is not my word like as a fire? This is the Lord speaking, saith the Lord. And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets. Saith the Lord that steal my words, everyone from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, He saith. How many times have you ever heard a man preach another man's sermon? Hello? And get up and say that God gave me this. Read on. He said, They will not profit this people, saith the Lord. But if you are going to be the shepherd that God wants you to be, there has got to be a personal contact with him that he can give to you that original message that belongs to you, the prophet, and you can say, the Lord said. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is a danger of extremity. You see all of this about a preacher. You hear him preach a sermon and you label it a masterpiece and you say that this is it. But there is something very odd and peculiar about a man that's in touch with God. There's times that nobody understands him. There's times that nothing seems to be the way that he wants it. Because he is not thinking in the carnal sense. He's got his mind on something else. And this is the part that you never see. He must go into an extremity and withdraw himself. But there is a danger in going to an extreme. You see some men that get caught in uh, a thought and it transpires into an obsession, whether it is doctrinally or whether it is uh, homiletically or whatever. And because of the extreme that this man goes, it becomes detrimental to him and to his ministry. You cannot remove yourself too far from the body. The body has got to have an effect on you and what this body does. 
There is none of us that are so big and are so powerful and are so great that we can move into an area of an extremity and say that what I do is nobody's business. Amen, amen, amen. Because this body has got a heart. And this heart does something for this body. And the further I get from the heart, the less the heart does for me. Hallelujah. I'm going to preach to you in a little bit. I went to Veterans Hospital to visit not many uh, months ago. This thing was in my heart and in my mind. It had been about two months ago. There was a lady sitting in the lobby that I recognized that I had seen her before. and knew that she was Pentecostal. And when she saw me walk in, she jumped up and come over to where I was at. I was standing at the information desk. And she said, you're Brother Foss. I said, yes, I am. And I said, who are you? And she told me. She was from another city. She said, my husband is here. Our pastor is not able to come. And would it be asking too much while you're here to go up and visit my husband? I said, where is he at? She said, he's... Uh, in Ward 314, I said, well, I'm going to the third floor, and I'll be glad to go by and see him and pray with him and talk with him. They knew my father well. They had been in meetings where I was, and I just had not had the privilege of meeting them. And when I walked in, the man had on pajamas that was about uh, knee-length, maybe middle of a thigh. And to my almost horror, and shock, when I walked into the room, there he was laying in the bed, propped up on a pillow, two studs of legs, and the ends were cut off, and where the meat, the flesh had been gathered around and sewed in was not well, and they were leaving it open to the air, and I looked at it. And I said, sir, how are you? And a big smile come across his face. He said, Brother Foss, he said, I am doing great. It took me aback, and I, I stood there for a moment, and I tried to recover as quick as I could. I said, well, that's great that you're that away. That's all the answer that I could give him because my mind was racing miles a minute trying to figure out how that this man in this condition could say, I'm great. He said, I've had the Holy Ghost 34 years. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And he said, it's a joy to see a man of God walked into this room and he, Brother Holly, he put me at ease. And I began to talk to him, but God had a reason for me going there. Not to bless the man, but to talk to me. 
When I looked at those nubs, that jagged red stub sticking at me, I said, well, was you in an accident? What happened? He said, oh, no, Brother Foss. I was not in an accident. He said, this thing started so innocently. But he said, I'm so glad that things are as well with me as they are. I said, well, what happened to you, sir? He said, I bought a new pair of shoes. Nothing wrong with a new pair of shoes. And he said, the shoes wore a blister on each foot. And from this blister, ultimately, I lost both of my legs because I am a diabetic. And I stood there and listened to that for a minute. He said, for the false, the doctor told me that I could not have had anything any worse at any place in my body than a blister to come on my toe. And I asked him, why are you saying that? He said, because that toe is the furthest part of me from my heart. My condition is normal to have poor circulation. And because that toe was in an extreme part of my body, my heart could not pump hard enough, strong enough to get that life-giving flow to that blister in order to heal it because it was too far from my heart. Therefore, blood poisoning. No antibiotics would do it. Gangrene. And they had to amputate my legs. What does that tell you? It tells me that when I get to the extreme too far, that the heart of this church can't reach me. That I can become diseased. And no matter what, this church does. It leaves me struggling, battered and torn, because that blood cannot get to me. Let's think about it just a minute. You ever had a sore? You notice around the sore, white mucus forms that we call pus? How many of you ever experienced that? Do you know what that process is? That is your heart isolating a diseased area of your body with white corpuscles. 
disease from spreading. And I say, dear God, help us that when we walk into a church and that spirit is moving, that heart is pumping, that church is under the burden of something, you'll need to walk in there and feel the thump, 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 thump of that thing as it reaches out to catch you. Dear God, it ought to be the joy of your heart for a preacher to walk to a pulpit and lay out the word and strap it on you and let that word begin to work in your heart. Because when you are too far from the heart, it can't reach you no matter how hard it pumps. Extremity. Extremity. Have you ever been in a service and the glory of God was falling and you didn't feel anything? The preacher could preach and you couldn't care less. I wished he would hurry. I just don't like that guy. I don't like that singer. I don't like this kind of a spirit when it may not be that at all. It may be that you have moved in to the extreme so far that this heart does not have enough power to pump to you the blood of Calvary that will cleanse that heart and that mind and isolate the disease that's eating at the very heart of your soul. You see, when you're close to the heart, my eye does not criticize my hand. That's right. All right. Amen. All right. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. My hands may not look good to you, but to this heart, to these eyes, these hands mean something to me. Everything I pick up, every pencil I reach and get, everything I reach for, my hand has got to do it. My heart will not criticize my hands. Living in the extreme. You see, when you're close to the heart, that heart will do something for you. I was in Fondren Brown pulmonary unit Saturday, Sunday morning, from about one o'clock until four. There was a man there, and they called me to come, and Dr. DeBakey's first assistant, Dr. Daniel, had gone into the man's groin and put a tube. And when I walked into the Room, he said, Brother Frost, feel. And I felt that this man's leg, man in my church, pillar in that church. And he said, when I felt it, Brother Holly, I've put my hand on dead people before. I know what it feels like to feel the cold, lifeless flesh of a dead person. 
When I touched that man's leg, it was cold, very cold, up to about the middle of the thigh. And the doctor said, if we don't do what we can do now, tomorrow it'll have to be amputated. And I said, well, what's wrong? He said, Brother Foster, there is a blood clot in that leg that has stopped the circulation throughout that leg. And if we don't unstop it now and let the blood flow, it will die literally staying on this man. I'm wondering which one of us are so far from the real heartbeat of the gospel that God has sent men after men to cannibalize your artery, to open up your heart, to let you feel that life-giving flow that you're not feeling now. You see, some of you that want to be a shepherd doesn't know about the shepherd's heart yet. And you are so far away. No matter what is preached, no matter what is said, no matter what spirit comes, you remain in that same little place, that same little position, that same little spirit. I cannot be left forward or moved backwards. And sir, when you leave to go home this summer, if you don't warm up to the heart somewhere, you will die. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Reader's Digest, 1971, told that story. You see, you've wandered into the extreme. The shepherd don't even know where you're living. He's looking for you. He's searching for you. But you see, today, and I'm not your shepherd, but my shepherd's heart has already begun to tune you in. And I could walk through this group of young men that claim the call of God on your heart. I can walk through you today and lay a hand on you. You're where you ought to be, and you're not where you ought to be. And that shepherd has been looking for you. He told the story. And the story, and Reader's Digest was called... Beware of side roads. And I couldn't believe I preached the California camp meeting last year and the Deeper Life Convention been going there for two or three years and their district services, which I enjoy being with that district. It's a great district. And uh, going through that desert area, you could see those mountains off to the sides and See the canyons, you uh, would see signs on the freeway. Beware of side roads. And I could not believe what I was seeing. Beware of side roads. And I, I thought, well, there's nothing. What's wrong with being? Beware of side roads. What's wrong with this? And I could look down and see the ribbon strip of the interstate. I could see roads leading off of the interstate going back into the 
canyon, badland country, and finally, down in a desert mesa, just die. That's it. Just. This story told that, and that brought to my mind the signs, beware of side roads. A family that had traveled that road before, several times their joy was on the weekend, taking their basket lunch and driving out through the sand dunes and driving into the canyons, finding a place, spreading their lunch, coming back. Go out there, be alone in an extreme area. They could do sunbathing and nobody around, strictly by themselves, suntan and so on. You know what the world talks about. It's the way they've done it. man and his wife and three children decided they're going to do that. They got in their car, loaded up, filled up with gas, didn't tell anybody where they was going. Nobody knew which direction they even went. They started on their journey. And they took a side road. Traveled over the pass and down into the desert valley on the other side of the mountains. Went on through canyons and finally... The road played out, and their four-wheel drive vehicle, they stopped there, and they decided, well, this is where we'll spend the afternoon, and it was kind of late afternoon already, and they spread out their lunch. said, we'll have lunch, and then we'll go back. And the dad got in the car and said, well, we'll turn around, and we'll be headed out, ready to go home. And when he turned the car around, the vehicle around, it got stuck in the sand, and in the process, he broke an axle. And uh, they knew that nobody would know where they was at. It was dust storm time, and every morning, dust would start blowing for a couple of hours. Their tracks would be blown out. He knew that they was in a bad circumstance. That man immediately started taking steps towards survival. The headliner out of the vehicle. The next day they buried the little children all but their face. And they spread over their face a part of that cloth to keep that sun, that morning sun till noon, from absolutely cooking those children. They used the water very sparingly. One day past two and three. About the second day the dad took the hubcaps off and began to catch their urine in the hubcaps. They would take a cloth and in the hot part of the day bathe those children to keep them from dehydrating in that sun. You see, when you get in the extreme, you have to turn to something. And there's no limit to what you'll turn to. Somebody could find them. I'm telling you, young man, young lady, you need to be careful lest you get into a life of extremity where the shepherd does not know where you are. You fully intend to come back, but you may break an axle and in the process be bathing yourself in the filth of this world, trying to find some hope of survival. 
Bible somewhere praying that God would let somebody somewhere find me and touch me. Of course, they were found the sixth day and everything was all right. But what Brother Foss is telling you, when you walk into this chapel service and the power of God is moving in this place and the glory of God is something you ought to hear, the heartbeat of this church, thump, thump, thump. You ought to get somewhere close by that you can let that soul reach out and get into your heart and say, God, let it do Let it do something to me. Let me find what I need. You see, the extremity this way is dangerous. Then when you think about the extremity of the shepherd, I came through the shepherd country last year, stopped and spent about a week. Land that was raised there, got acquainted with him and he was Gathered around in that mountainous country, and we'd go from one meadow park to another. Way up in those mountains, we'd see little shacks. Those shacks, I said, what are they? Brother Johnson, what are they? He said, Brother Foss, they're sheep herder shacks. I said, you like to go in one? I said, yeah, I wouldn't mind. Let's go in. We went in, and... There was, in a canister, dried meat, they call jerky. I know you know what that is. And uh, in another canister was sourdough. And there was a stove and wood, fairly neat, place where his bedroll stayed. The bubble faucet is where the shepherd lived. Instead, he loses contact with the outside world. Sometimes nothing but him and his sheep. For three months at a time, he doesn't hear any news. He doesn't see a living human being. The only one he can talk to is the sheep. I said, are you serious? He said, yes, I'm serious. We stood there and I looked. My mind began to race and talk to me about the flock that God had made me the shepherd of. That shack was next to a green, lush meadow park up in that LaSalle range of mountains. We were up about 10, 11,000 feet. The snows was just up above us. And that shepherd had not made it to that shack yet. There was the green pastures. And I looked down just a little ways, and there was a beautiful lake. And I said, how deep is that? He said, Brother Foss, that's probably 15 or 20 feet deep. It never goes dry. The snow's melting on the mountain that runs underground, and it's fed by spring. Cool, cold, clear, sweet water. We went and took a drink of this water, and I saw still waters. And I looked at it. 
And he stays here and he watches these sheep. And he never leaves them out alone. He'll talk to them. He'll wave his hand. And they'll know by the wave of his hand where he wants them to go. He brings them to the water. He doesn't ever leave them. He stays right here because at this watering hole, there are cougars, mountain lions, timber wolves, cows, so on, come to this place to drink. And those little lambs, just about so long, stand about so high. And the beautiful bald eagle inhabits this area, and they find their prey by the water hole. That he takes them to still waters. I never got caught in anything so much in my life as I got to studying about the extremity of that man's life. You say that I am called of God and I am going to be a minister. That means that you have got some extreme living to do. And it's dangerous living. There's times that you don't want to hear from anything except your sheep. You want to talk to your sheep. You want to be with your sheep. We left there and drove about 20 miles to a little place called LaSalle Junction. And I looked coming down the side of a hill and I saw it looked like about 300 sheep. And I told him, I said, stop, just stop. Would you stop? He said, yeah. I said, isn't that a flock of sheep? He said, yes. I said, do you suppose that the shepherd with them? He said, yes. Oh, yeah. I said, he's here somewhere. I said, stop for just a few minutes. I'd like to look. And coming out of the brush, down a little trail, sheep behind him and sheep in front of him. No long-haired, long-beard, straggly-looking hair, tattered coat, bedroll, a long staff in his hand. Here he comes. And those sheep just walking along. And I watched him for about an hour. One would get a little too far, and he would just speak the word. And that sheep would... Brother Holly, I've never seen such a lesson in my life. I said, where is this man going with these sheep? He said, Brother Foss, he'll take them to... And he showed me. He said, you see this point here on this huge ranch? I said, yes. He said, that is the shipping chute. And these sheep are ready to go to market. They'll shear them first. Then they'll load them and go to market. He said, Brother Foss, there's something strange about a shepherd. This man, not being a preacher, didn't know what was happening on the inside of me. He said, a shepherd will never shear a sheep. He said, he'll bring it, they'll go into the shearing shed, and they shear them. He said, neither will a shepherd ever sell a sheep. 
He leaves them there. They sell them. And said, a shepherd will never take a sheep to slaughter. He said, I've actually stood when I worked in these sheep sheds. I've watched the shepherd come and when those sheep were loaded into those trucks to be carried to market, I stood there and watched that shepherd. Big tears run down his face. He knew that in a little while he would have another flock. He knew that. But something else I've been with these so long. I've learned to talk to them. They have become part of my life. They are my companions now. And that shepherd's heart would not allow him to do anything to that sheep that would damage that sheep at all. He said, if we could get to him, I'd like for you to smell the shepherd. Because I was already caught up in it. I said, well, uh, that won't be necessary. But I said, what, what about it? I said, I can tell he hasn't had a bath. He said, oh, yeah. I said, he'll bathe up there in that uh, water. It's cold, but he'll warm some water and he'll wash. But he said, Brother Foss, the dew and the rain, the snow, the cold, that when a sheep gets sick, this wool, the thing that insulates this animal's body, puts off a secretion and more or less begins to sweat like we do. And when you reach down and pick one up, he said the odor that comes off of that sheep will not wash off. You can't get it off of you. But he said that shepherd thinks nothing about picking up an injured sheep and bringing it to his bosom and carrying that stinking dirty thing back to that shepherd's shack and begin to nourish, nourish it until it's back on its feet and it hit me like a sledgehammer. How many times have I because God has put the sword in my hand. That I have preached to my flock with a drawn sword. I preached the sermon not long ago. My sword wants blood. Oh, listen to me, future shepherds. You must remember this one thing. Your shepherd's heart will never let you assassinate a sheep. The boastful man that said, I would disfellowship that man does not know what a shepherd's heart tells him. Right. Because it matters not where you go, that shepherd will pick him up uh-huh. and clean the filth off of him, clean that scum off of him, and start a ministry of reconciliation and bringing that sheep back to the fold and restoring him where God wants him to be. Oh, that God would give us men in Texas Bible College with a shepherd's heart. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I don't know, Brother Holly, that I could ever successfully serve 
on a board of jurisdiction that a bylaw tells me that I cannot extend fellowship or a second chance to a man. Although this book says my eye will show no pity. That I must render judgment as it is under the law. But sir, that's the judge's department. And I'm a shepherd. I'm not a judge. I'm a shepherd. I cannot carry my sheep to a slaughter and see one of them assassinated. I've got to somehow do something. Give me my sheep. And when you find a man that only thinks about when he looks at a flock, is that's another tithe payer. That's another member on the board. That man has carried that flock to the shearing shed and that's put right. the shears to it. That's right. Oh, God, that's right. I hope I'm getting to you what's in my heart. Oh, that God would let my heart be the heart of a shepherd. The shepherd never walks to the pulpit with a whiplash in his hand to whip those sheep in the line. You see, if you're a shepherd, the book said, my sheep know my voice and another one they're not going to follow. Because Brother Holly, if I'm the shepherd that I ought to be, all I've got to do is put my feet in the water first. And those sheep are going to follow me. And that's the plan of God after all. Jordan did not go back under the priest of the prophet. Hallelujah, hallelujah. All oh, that God would give us men that know the will of God, that knows where they're going, that's got a shepherd's heart, that we can save you from the sons of our generation. Shepherd loves his sheep enough. Just how far will you go with one? And I hear some of these young bucks talking about preaching. Dear God, I wouldn't put up with that. You have never looked into the heart of a shepherd. Uh-uh. You hear me, sir? You don't really know what you're saying. You have been bathed in the blood of Calvary. How many of you have been touched by Calvary's blood? Oh, hallelujah. You felt that drop first drop when it touched you. And when it touched you, it began to wash white streaks into that dark, filthy soul of yours. And the more the blood came, the whiter your soul became. Do you know what brought that blood here? It was the prayer of a shepherd's heart when he knelt in the garden and said, Oh, let this cup pass from me. Yeah. You see that carnal soul, that carnal pot,
heart of Jesus. That body of Jesus was crying, No, no, let me do it. But that shepherd's heart began to take over. And he said, Nevertheless, not my will. So you see, blood that stained the cross had to come from a shepherd's heart. Couldn't he have allowed a man to draw a sword and smack the ear of the man? He said, I can call legions of angels. Dear God, why don't you do it? If you can do it, why don't you do it? Because I need some green pastures. And that's the only way I can get to them. I have to have still water. That's the only way I can find them. He said, Peter, put out your sword. For this cause came I into this world. And I've got a flock that I've got to reach. I've got a flock that's got to have it. I'm ready to die to save them if need be. Oh, that God would give us men with a shepherd's heart. I know it's time for me to close, but I am not through. We scream and we shout and we talk about apostolic revival. You can't have apostolic revival until you experience a shepherd's heart. The most deadly power in this world is the power of that spirit. The gift of the Spirit. You cry, I want the gift of the Spirit. What are you going to do with the gift of discernment? What are you going to do with the gift of knowledge? What would you do with the gift of wisdom? What would you do with the gift of working of miracles? If you had the power that Peter had when Ananias lied to him, the man died, what would you do with this kind? You see, this is what you're asking for. But you have never yet been through a Gethsemane with him. You've never yet been broken. That shepherd's heart has never yet come to be that I will give my life for them sheep. And when you can say that, apostolic power is going to rest in the palm of your hand, but not a bit. If he gave you power to work miracles, what would you do with it without a shepherd's heart? Would you use it to bless that flock? Or would you use it to heal a cancer so somebody can say that look what the boss has done? God be the praise. God be the honor. To God be the glory. And until your spirit is broken, until you've been in that extreme, until you've been in that shepherd's shack, he'll never be able to entrust you with the kind of power that we're talking about today. I have prayed, I've cried, I've screamed, I've beat the sea, I've beat the air. God, give me apostolic revival. And I don't deny that revival is in our church, but it's not like I want to see it. But it's not my flock's fault. Something about this shepherd is wrong. But I'm working on it, Brother Holly. A man can preach just a few minutes 
and you can tell if he's ever been to his Gethsemane. A man can preach a few minutes and you'll know if he's ever been a shepherd. Above everything else, men, above everything else, you young ladies, ask God for that heart. Because that heart will race to its capacity to isolate the disease and talk to it that life is I'll try to bring this to a close here. It's always been my policy, Brother Holly. When our church, a member of our church stumbled and fell. And they violated the church. I don't believe there's a man living that preaches any straighter than I preach or any harder. Or enforces what he preaches any more than I do. But in the renovation of my heart, in the crush of my spirit, God has done something to me. Now, I don't say it boastfully, but I say it thankfully. I got a phone call about a month ago, maybe three weeks ago. Young woman in tears said, Brother Foss, would you come to my house? And I said, Well, my wife is not with me. I can't come. Your husband is. Uh, she didn't tell me he was there. I said, I'll see if I can find somebody to come. If she'd have told me that he was there, I wouldn't have been worried. But you see, I don't ever visit any woman or counsel any woman at any time without my wife being in my presence. That's me. That may not work for you, but you better tread softly on those grounds. I went to her father-in-law and I said, your daughter-in-law is called. She wants me to come to the house. Said she needs me there. I said, "You, uh, you're a minister and you have license to preach. Would you go in my stead tonight?" Since Sister Foss is not with me, and he said, "No, Brother Foss, I don't think I'll go." And I thought that's strange. So why, uh, why are you? Uh, wonder why. So my little fifteen-year-old boy Gary was with me that night. And I said, all right. And I thought, well, I just won't go by. But when I got into the car, I said, Gary, I need to go by and see about somebody. And Daddy's glad that you're with me. I said, now, when I get there, I want you to go right in the house with me. And uh, don't let what you see affect you. Don't let what happens bother you. But let's just go in. He said, okay, Daddy. I walked up on the porch. and knocked on the door. And her and her little boy... And she was in prayer meeting this morning when I left the church. Come to the door. I said, come in, Brother Foss. And I reached and I got Gary by the arm and Gary went in ahead of me. We went in and sat down. Tears began to run down her face and in a few moments I heard something in the back room. And I saw this big boy raised in the church. Been in the church a long time. I saw him come walking out of the back and out of the hall of the house. I seen him staring. I looked at him and I said, My God, son, what's wrong? The older came to me and I knew that he was drunk. Brother Foss, I don't know what happened. I cannot explain what's happened to me. I don't know. I knew. 
He got off on a side road. Didn't tell anybody where he was. My first impulse was, man, you run the aisles, you shout, you dance, you do everything in this church. You're one of the loudest ones there, and here you are, you dirty, low-down skunk. That was my first impulse. But then my shepherd's heart began to beat. I could feel my sword trembling. It wanted blood. I could feel that. I felt like Joab, the left-handed man, that David had taught how to kill with one blow. He knew what to strike. He knew how to make one swipe with a short-bladed sword and completely disembowel a man as he'd done Abner. He knew how to do that. I felt that sword tremble in my hand. But then I heard my shepherd's heart beat. Love covered a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. My mind raced to the shepherd when he picked up a sheep and got that stinking smell all over him. I reached out and took him by the hand. I pulled him up to me and I put my arms around him. It's the first time I've ever done this kind of thing in my life with a man like that. And I began to weep. I told him, son, I'm glad Brother Foss found you. Would you let me help you up? He said, what do you mean, Brother Foss? You're not going to be harsh with me? I said, son, I love you too much to assassinate you. If you will just get up, let's ask God to forgive you. Come on to church. Let the blood of Calvary cover your soul. Then everything is going to be all right. Hallelujah. Sunday night, quiet and subdued as he was coming through that wilderness. But I saw him in that audience with hands up and tears running down his face. I could smell my hands, but I also could feel my heart. Hallelujah. And I appreciated that God had done something to this heart of mine. And I hope today that you never forget the shepherd's heart. It'll do something to you. We need men that know the will of God and know where they're going.